Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Every year at around this time, we sit down for an interview with legendary economist Ed Hyman. Hyman has been voted Wall Street's number one economist by institutional investors for an unprecedented four decades. He is vice chairman of Evercore, a leading independent investment banking and advisory firm. He is the founder and chairman of its Evercore ISI division and leads its economic research team, which publishes daily reports considered to be must-reads by institutional investors. Not surprisingly, we have even more to discuss than usual this year. Recently, he shared his improving outlook for the economy in 2021 and still bullish prospects for the markets. This week, we are seeking his perspective on the extraordinary events of 2020. How did the pandemic change the economy and markets, and what has he learned from the experience? A quick review of some of Hyman's research headlines over the past year provide a refresher course on just how much has happened. 2020 started the year on sound footing. As Hyman's December 29, 2019 last weekly economic summary of the decade put it, a good decade, year, and week. And the major contributor to that good decade and year was monetary stimulus. Beyond a reasonable doubt, global monetary stimulus is significant and ongoing, and it's being applied to a U.S. economy that is doing well. The fact that we're almost 11 years into this upturn is hard to shake as a negative, But given where rates and inflation are, we believe that a recession is still years out. Well, that was until COVID-19 hit. Starting in March, the tone of Hyman's daily headlines changed. Uncharted territory, then U.S. recession forecast, what turned out to be the first of a series of changing forecasts as conditions deteriorated. Followed by massive stimulus, which would become a recurring theme in the months ahead, as would U.S. economy plunging. But with conditions changing rapidly by mid-April, Hyman pronounced unprecedented massive global stimulus winning, although the global economy is in freefall and likely to be that way for another month or two. By May, there was light at the end of the tunnel, with lifting our GDP forecast, still a recession in the first and second quarters, but going from really bad to better. By late May, Hyman was lifting our U.S. GDP forecast significantly, and by June, declaring a new expansion started in May. A short recession, but the deepest, minus 10% in the post-war period. By fall, the unprecedented recession had turned into an unprecedented rebound, with solid growth likely in the fourth quarter. The biggest risk? The key will be shutdowns due to a resurgence of COVID cases and fatalities. Economic growth seems likely to be hit. But with 10 reasons the S&P is rallying, Hyman points out the many positives. Vaccine prospects, massive global monetary stimulus, S&P earnings surge, current U.S. economic data, 2021 outlook for second half generally viewed as positive, and others. Is it any wonder that Hyman told me that he has never changed his economic forecast so many times in such a short period of time as he has in the COVID era? I asked him to help us put the year in perspective. Have there been any like it in recent memory? There is absolutely nothing like this. So mechanically, uh, we had the worst recession in the post-war period, and it lasted two months. I mean, there is nothing like that. 
and now the economy has come back uh, quite significantly, 30% growth in the uh, third quarter. So there's nothing, there's nothing like that. And, it, and, it's, and it's global. The figures I just gave you, you could apply to the UK or Australia, uh, a little bit less so to China, but uh, so there's uh, that part. Uh, and the cause of it is the, is the pandemic. And so, you know, I'm not skilled at doing that. Uh, so I made a guess uh, that the economy would, the, the pandemic would stay in place until July. And so I had the second quarter down 50. It, this it is, a, this is a, of 2020, right. Of 2020. Uh-huh. And so it, it, it started to come back like in, uh, in May. And so the, first, the second quarter wasn't down 50, it was down 30. So I had to change that. Uh, and, and then I had the third quarter down because I thought it would be impacted uh, by the end of the uh, coronavirus. But it, it came back much quicker than, than I thought. And so the third quarter was plus 30. So I've been changing, changing. And then I had the, the fourth quarter up 10. because so I thought we'd keep coming back. And then you had the second wave. This thing just came out like a monster. Uh, and so I cut my forecast to four. And <laughs> now here we are in early December. And there's no evidence that I should have cut my forecast. It was preemptive. What was it that surprised you the most about how the economy and the markets have handled this pandemic? Uh, once you tell me the shape of the pandemic, I had to figure it out pretty well. Yep. Because I'd studied China and China was ahead of us. Their pandemic was in the first quarter. So you would do the math if the economy, uh, if a third of the economy shuts down, what does GDP do? Well, it collapses. And uh, so I just had to shut down for too many months. But once you told me how many months, I go, oh, well, it's, I understand what's going on. Uh, and now again, I'm back on the horns of the pandemic because it's going roaring back. And I don't know what, quite what impact it's going to have and how quickly the vaccine can interact uh, with that. Uh, but the, the markets to a certain extent are being generous and looking out. Uh, but in part, uh, they're being coerced uh, because monetary policy is so easy. As we mentioned earlier, uh, if the money supply increases 25%, everything goes up. Bitcoin right. goes up, equities go up, house prices go up. You've described this as being the golden age of housing. Can you explain what the golden age of housing is going to look like and why you're ex describing it that way? So uh, to start out with the pandemic, uh, people are now looking at their house as much more important than they did before. That could change, uh, but I think it's going to take a while to change. And I believe that people uh, view, and the, there are surveys that show this, that people uh, view investing in, in their house as the best investment they, they could make. If you want to buy Bitcoin or you want to buy uh, equities or gold and they look at their house and say well this is 
you know, a really nice investment. And the, the demographics are positive for it with the millennials. Uh, and so there's a big pent up demand uh, for this to come through. And I think the millennials will end up, uh, you know, wanting to own a, own a home. And uh, actually that's been, that's changed a lot just during the pandemic, frankly. You know, people that said, no, no, I don't want, now they really do want uh, to own a house. And, and house prices are going up, uh, which there's nothing like momentum to make people, you know, think it's a good investment. And mortgage rates, uh, the one that I watch most closely, uh, it just went down like six basis points this, this week to 291. So, you know, if somebody wants to buy a house, I mean, this is like, a great time to do it. And so I think the stars have aligned pretty nicely uh, for housing. Uh, but uh, in any event, housing at the moment uh, is the strongest sector uh, in the economy, bar none. And that has so many you know, implications you know, for furniture or landscaping or if you're a real estate agent or a lawyer. It, it goes on and on and on the way uh, housing <laughs> spreads out. What's the data telling you about the stock market? I read a report of yours recently that says 10 reasons the S&P is rallying. And, you know, kind of regardless of what's been going on with the pandemic, uh, the stock market's been going up. So what, what's driving the stock market? And, and do you think it's sustainable? So let me take two approaches to this. Uh -huh. First off, uh, the stock market drives the economy to a wealth effect and the economy drives the stock market. So it's a loop that goes along. If the economy gets better, the market goes up, then the market goes up and it makes the economy better. And that keeps on in a uh, understandable fashion until there's something that stops it, uh, like you know, Fed tightening or the pandemic or you know, something that's exogenous, a collapse in Europe, uh, something that's not in that loop. Uh, now, in terms of the stock market, uh, S&P earnings uh, in the second quarter uh, came down to 112, $112 for S&P earnings. From? Uh, 167, say 170 to, to 110. Right. <laughs> this is like not good. Uh, and they're gonna be 165 in this quarter, in the fourth quarter. So if you were to tell people that earnings went from 110 to 160, they would say, oh, well, that's why the market went up. And that is why the market went up. Now, in addition to that, the money supply is up 25%. So there's a lot more money uh, to put into equities. And then you had a dramatic shift in policy, in, in the politics. Right. Who went from who knows what, uh, is it gonna be a hung election or who's gonna win and it will be a blue wave to now it's pretty well settled out. So and, certainty uh, matters. <laughs> yeah, certainty, yeah. boy, that was, so there was a, you know, a pretty good chance uh, that if it had been a blue wave, that my tax rate as a New York resident would go up to 60%, the marginal tax rate. Mm -hmm. And they were gonna lift the capital gains tax rate to the income. So, I mean, that was, I was, well, now it looks like so the Senate will remain Republican. That's, we can talk about that. It's a whole other topic. Uh, 
Right. But, well, uh, what what if it doesn't? What what if in fact the you know the Republicans don't win the senatorial races in Georgia? I, I think the market goes down ten or twenty percent in a heartbeat because uh, it will mean you'll have more fiscal stimulus. But if those tax rates go up uh, like to sixty percent, uh, I think that's a much bigger negative. Corporate tax rate will probably go up to twenty eight percent. You and I have talked uh, in the last year that you said that there's going to be some crisis or that there is a possibility a crisis will occur because of what we've been through with the pandemic lockdowns and shutdowns. Now, so far, we haven't seen a crisis. Do you think that we are still still susceptible to one? No. That was one of my main themes, and I was convinced if you go back six or nine months, that a whale would definitely float to the surface. It was inconceivable to me that the economy could collapse like that and there wouldn't be something that would happen. Well, here we are six or nine months later, the stock market's moved up, policymakers have responded so aggressively globally. Uh, and so there's still plenty of time for a future cycle to unfold that could produce a crisis. But I think uh, for whatever reason this time, we, we avoided what I thought was a near certainty. Uh, and so I think now there's more room for upside uh, surprises uh, than downside. You know, you mentioned themes, Ed, uh, that you follow at Evercore ISI. And one of your big themes now is China leads. China leading. Explain how important China's recovery is to us and to the global economy. So uh, I was thinking about getting together with you today and what were the most important things for the stock market. And China's not the most important, but it's in the top five. So China is leading, obviously, because of the, of the virus. You know, they went in first, they got it first, they got rid of it first, and the economy is clearly about three to six months ahead of us. Everything you look at puts them about a quarter ahead of us. So I watch them like a hawk because I think I'm looking at us uh, out, you know, three or four months. Mm-hmm. And uh, their economy has been doing, you know, quite well. Uh, we survey companies uh, that do business in China. And that survey has come from about 35 on a zero to 100. And this week it's up to 52 and a half, maybe 53. Uh, so it, it's had a big move up. It, it's been as high as 60 and 70. So there's you know plenty of room uh, right. for it to get better. And then uh, you're always looking for the mosaic to help you understand if is it this way or that way. And China bond yields, oddly enough, have increased about uh, 200 basis points, maybe 100 basis points, to 3.2 percent. Huh? That, That's their bond yield. You know, it's right. way up to three. Ours yep. is still below one. This is the like ten year equivalent. This is a ten. A ten this ten is the ten. Ours is right. Ours is one, and theirs is three. Right. And I believe that the the reason uh, is their economy is doing better. Now, also, they don't have QE, so they're not suppressing uh, bond yields. But uh, it looks like mm-hmm. China is doing is doing well. Uh, just maybe for later for us to come back to as a theme. Uh, there's very little inflation in China even though it's the fastest growing economy, uh, we expect eight and a half percent growth next year. Uh, 
they still have very, inflation is like one or two percent. Let's talk about in, inflation and the fact that it still seems to be missing in action. How can that be in China, you just mentioned, when the economy is really um, so much stronger? What's holding inflation down? And you know, what's your outlook for inflation? So, Consuelo, I, you know, I spent every waking hour just about talking to our clients. Mm-hmm. And probably um, three out of 10 uh, are convinced that inflation is coming back just around the corner because money growth is so rapid, uh, commodity prices are up, and the economy is coming back. Uh, so a lot of the other things that I mentioned, uh, I don't get a strong pushback. A vaccine coming, yes. It could have a good effect, yes. But on inflation, uh, first, it's not very visible at the moment, as you point out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's in part because the, un- the unemployment rate is still almost 7%. So there's a lot of slack uh, in the economy. And then you have technology, which has been around for a long time, uh, but it's really keeping inflation down. You know, for example, Amazon Pharmaceutical. They just keep getting into spaces. And then lastly, uh, I more or less intellectually grew up with Milton Friedman. I met him when I was 23. I fell in love with this guy and the way he thought and that inflation was always a monetary phenomenon. If you had too much money, it would create too much demand Mm -hmm. relative to supply, too much demand. I wasn't smart enough to ask him, how do you know if it creates too much demand relative to supply or too much supply relative to demand? (laughs) I I didn't think of it. Uh But, you know, you can imagine that if you printed so much money, you could build hotels, you could build cars, you could build restaurants, lots of stores. It might actually have a deflationary impact. And so So do you think that's what's going on? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Now, there are two problems with this. One is you can't, you can't make oil out of money. So the economy grows, you know, get hot, and then oil goes up. But it turns out that in this window, this epoch, we have made oil out of money. We, we frack. So you've right. had, this funny, we've had this funny thing where that part of Milton Friedman's uh, stool wasn't in place. The second one was you can't make labor out of money. Well, suddenly you come in and you introduce uh, East Europe and uh, India and China, you know, a billion people to the world's labor force, and then you give them all a cell phone. So they're, you know, highly energized compared to what they might have been. Uh, so that's, uh, that's maybe kept inflation at bay. In the 1920s, I could go on for other two other cycles, but in the 1920s, you introduced mass production with the automobile, Ford Motor Company, and electricity within three years. And you had no inflation in the 20s, even though it was roaring economically. And right. uh, so we'll, we'll see. I hope you and I can meet like this again in the upcoming years. Uh, but right now, technology is keeping inflation down. And so far, in most places, uh, supply is ahead of demand. 
you know, whether the, the sectors I mentioned. And so at the moment, I'm now, if all goes to $100 and if wages start to accelerate, then I will, I'm flexible. <laughs> and I will change my view on this. But at the moment, uh, it looks as though there's, there's not much inflation and it, it might stay this way. I'm going to be talking to Nobel laureate Robert Schiller, who I know you know, about uh, e- economic narratives. What is your narrative uh, for the economy and markets in 2021? I'm, I'm asking you basically for a forecast for 2021. But w- what's the story that, that you think uh, will be told in 2021 as far as the economy and markets? So the first story is that we will be in the second year of an economic expansion. So... You know, I try and have a sense of position. Where am I right. in the business cycle? And I, I believe that we just had a very bad recession. We've just entered a new expansion. And I go through my playbook to see, well, what happens in expansion at this point, at this point, at this point. And so generally speaking, I think next year will be like a second year of an upturn. And in those years, the market's pretty good. Uh, inflation still is pretty low because you haven't overheated yet. And so that's my general playbook. A second playbook, which is frankly much more exciting, is that you get the interaction between a vaccine, a reopening of the economy, monetary stimulus, fiscal stimulus. And as I alluded to, you have a wealth effect coursing through the system. And if, if that's not enough, the dollar's down. And China's booming. So, you know, you could have a very big second half. I will say on this one, most people go like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, it's, you know, they might not have a big number, but they see what the idea. And that's why the stock market, one of the reasons the stock market is going up, because it, it, it sees this picture out right. in the distance. That could be really exciting, uh, and add to that, you know, a uh, a little more uh, serenity on the political front. Feel pretty pretty good. Yes, it sounds pretty interesting to me. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Final question, Ed, um, and you're starting to cover this in your research reports. How will this expansion and market rally end? What what will put an end to it, or to them? Well, uh, Consuelo, I, I'm, I'm going to go with what brought me here. So I am a, a business cycle analyst. I study markets. I study the cycles. And there have been maybe uh, seven or eight normal cycles, maybe 10. And then there have been three super cycles, like the Roaring Twenties or Japan in the 80s. And they all have ended the same way. Uh, you go along, inflation picks up, the central bank tightens, bond yields go up, the central bank tightens, the economy starts to weaken, bond yields come down a little bit, you get an inverted yield curve, and that's it. Uh, so uh, I have pretty high hopes that I might be able to see the end of this one. And uh, I just hope I can stick around long enough. It could take a while, but that's but that's that's what I think will be the end. Now that said, uh, during expansions, 
you can have a lot of bad things. Like in the last expansion, you had Europe have a recession in 2010-11. So, I mean, it can be bad, but still a continuation. And then in 87, in that expansion, uh, you had Black Monday. Right. You know, we had a huge drop in the stock market. Uh, but it was still an ongoing expansion in, in hindsight. So there are a lot of ways to lose your way, but I think in general, we're in for five or 10 years. So Ed Hyman, thank you so much for joining us on Wealth Track for our annual tradition, your annual outlook. We really appreciate it. Spello, it's my great pleasure. See you next year. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is give your brain a creative break and read Creators from Chaucer to Walt Disney by one of my favorite British historians, Paul Johnson. It is a fascinating, illuminating, and sometimes heart-wrenching series of biographical essays about men and women of outstanding originality, exceptional artists, musicians, and writers. The creative process can be all-consuming, and regardless of the brilliance of the artist or the outcome, success is by no means guaranteed. Luckily for all of us, these individuals were driven to create. Next week, a WealthTrack exclusive timeless investment advice from Charles Ellis, the author of the investment classic Winning the Losers Game, soon to be published in its eighth edition. We'll find out what's changed. If you are so inclined, please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a joyous holiday week and make it a healthy, profitable, and productive one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on WealthTrack, insights on the pandemic economy and markets from legendary Wall Street economist Ed Hyman. The, the markets, to a certain extent, are being generous and looking out. Uh, but in part, uh, they're being coerced uh, because monetary policy is so easy. What's changed and lessons learned from Wall Street's number one economist. This week on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack.